Welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. Today's guest is Emma McGuigan. Emma is Senior Managing Director at Accenture Microsoft Business Group, and she's responsible for Accenture's combined business with Microsoft, including the industry-leading joint venture, Avenard. Emma oversees this strategic alliance of 45,000 Accenture and Avenard employees based in Seattle, helping organizations across the globe with navigation of disruption and driving innovation through harnessing Microsoft technologies. Hello, Emma, and welcome to the Digital Leaders Podcast. Thank you, Robin, and I'm delighted to be joining you. So let's start by finding out um, a little bit about what you do and the organization you work with at the moment. So my name is Emma McGuigan, and I am the Senior Managing Director for Accenture's Global Business with Microsoft, which is a very grand way of saying that I'm really responsible for, for managing our partnership with Microsoft globally. Um, and I've been working with Accenture some 25 years now, and I've really grown up as a technology architect to developer early doors, working with some of our key clients. Um, I had Accenture as a client for a while, and most recently I've really been in these roles helping shape the technology agenda, and with that, of course, how our clients can adopt digital. Um, I'm super excited because I moved out to Seattle in August of last year, and I have to say it's such a privilege to be part of that whole West Coast culture and to be working with one of the technology giants on their journey right now and really thinking about how we as Accenture can partner with Microsoft to drive a different type of outcome for our clients and maybe help make the world a bit better on the way. So you really are one of the leading women in tech, I should think, probably at a global scale now. Well, I think I'm doing all right, Robin. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's a very senior role. I don't know how, has, has Accenture got a number of women in senior roles or are your counterparts in Microsoft? Are there uh, a number of women that you're working with? Well, I now have the privilege of having a female CEO as my boss, I am also the chairman of Avenard in this role and the new CEO of Avenard who came into role also on the 1st of September last year. She's a woman. And um, I work with a whole breadth of different people at Microsoft and actually quite a number of those, those senior leaders are women as well. So I have to say it's very different from the organization I joined 25 years ago when I was very much the only tech woman in a, in a, in a team of many men. And I think that diversity that we're starting to see is very much a change for the better, I think. And I think especially when you think about the complexity of digital and how it changes each of our behaviors as consumers, as business leaders, as business operators, it's really important we can pull teams together who represent not just different gender, but also you know different backgrounds, different perspectives in life, whether that comes from religion or race or education or socioeconomic background. And so I, I think it's a pretty exciting time to be a woman in tech. And, uh, I, you know, I, 
I mostly love my job. I'd be lying if I said it was great all the time, but I, I think it's a pretty great time to be around. That's great to hear. And I mean, I, I know a lot of our digital leaders will be very encouraged to hear that an organi- well, organizations like Accenture and Microsoft are uh, seeing more women in these very senior roles. And as you say, you're obviously seeing the benefit and the business is seeing the benefit, both Accenture and Microsoft because of that diversity that they're getting into their decision-making and therefore into their products and their services. So that's, uh, that sounds incredibly positive and, and perhaps not what I was, I was, I was slightly worried you might say I'm a lone uh, woman, but clearly that's not the case, which is great news. So no, and, no, what I would just say, Robin, is we've still got work to do. So you know me well enough to know I'm an optimist and I like to look very much on the positive side of things. And we do have a lot to do, but I think we are making some really good progress. And I think it's easy to get lost sometimes in the details of where we've got phenomenal issues still to tackle. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and reflecting on the issues we have when you look at equal pay in the UK, when you look at it from part and full time and the impact of career breaks on women's careers longer term. And there are undoubtedly really significant challenges we have to face. I think digital is part of the key to unlocking some of that equality. But I also think we need to celebrate and remember how far we've come. And I think sometimes we can get lost in the, in, in, in the, how, how, you know, where the problems sit as opposed to how far we've actually come. And I think it's important we take those moments occasionally to reflect on, on how, how things are going the right way. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So if I can take you, well, we could go back to 25 years to when you started with Accenture or, or back before that. But what, what's been your route to this, this role in Seattle that you now have? What were your early inspirations and, and how did you end up in a, in a digital role? Well, you know, I have always been curious. I like to know how things work. I don't like being fobbed off with it's just this way or it's just that way or it's just magic. And I've been like that from a from really quite a young age. I can remember taking my bike to pieces and my dad kind of raising an eyebrow at me as to how I was going to put it back together and just putting it back together. And it might have taken me a bit longer and I might have got pretty grubby doing it. But I, I always have been somebody who wanted to know how things work. And so that that kind of curiosity has been is deep rooted in me. And I also would be yeah, I think about inspirations and my parents have been hugely inspirational to me. I'm the youngest of three girls and we never, I never grew up with a notion of not being able to do something, but actually quite the opposite that every, every door was open to me. And frankly, my, my gender never really played a role in what I could or couldn't do. And so it's been, it, it's with huge gratification that I take that, um, that with me into my adult life because it's it's a gift and it's but it's also hilarious because I was I did maths and physics up until my final year I grew up in Aberdeen in the north of Scotland so I did hires and six-year studies and went on to study engineering and um, you know there was maybe maybe 10 percent of our class were women but it it never really struck me as somehow I was disadvantaged by being only 10 percent of women it was just it was just the way it was and you just cracked on and did your stuff and you did well and you you didn't think about not like me because I had that deep-rooted belief that I could be whatever I wanted to be. 
And, and so growing up like that, you think lots of doors are open to you. And my other, my other thing, my mother will tell you as a, as a, as a child, and as a, particularly as a teenager, I would continually be this kind of outrage from Aberdeen who was complaining and, and rallying about some injustice that I saw in the world. Um, and it could be anything from, you know, um, outrage over some small injustice in my life at school where somebody had got something that they didn't deserve to much bigger challenges as we reflected at the time around things like the famines that were existing in, in Africa. And I came up with, grew up, you know, as well as that curiosity, that, that notion of being able to do whatever I wanted to do, and this strong notion of wanting to change the world and make things better. And I had quite a number of years as a as a, as a kind of 11, 12, 13 year old, believing I was going to be prime minister because that, that was going to help me fix the world. And, you know, you get a bit older and you get a bit, bit more mature, maybe wiser, maybe I'm not sure. And you realize that actually that's maybe not where your path lies. You may be not particularly affiliated to a political party in, in, in its entirety. And, and, um, and actually there were much, there were, you know, there were many other ways that, that we can have an impact on, on the way the world works and the way people live and the doors that are open to them. And um, I have got really excited over the last 10 or 15 years over the opportunity digital opens. And you suddenly think about the way that you can open up doors to education, to opportunity for young people, to access to combat loneliness for old people, to connectivity. and, and I, you know, digital is just the way that we can open so many doors for so many people in all corners of the world. And for sure, there are challenges over, you know, wireless spectrums. But, but you know, there's always something else that's coming that makes that a little easier. And I, um, I uh, got very taken with programs like the X Prize, which is run out of California, who really look at big global issues and they look at how some of these things could be tackled. How do you tackle healthcare for people who are very impoverished? Um, how do you tackle education for people who live in remote parts of the world where they don't have access to um, educators? And suddenly through digital, through solar power, through satellite connections through the increasing footprint we have with 5G, you can provide all sorts of access to people through, you know, enduring tablets, provide education to uh, children in remote parts of Africa. For example, um, there's a healthcare app that was developed, which allows you to put tests. There's a, there's a widget you can get to apply to a smartphone that allows you to test saliva and identify a number of key um, Infections, same with being do blood tests with a similar uh, widget. These sorts of things for me, it's about getting people comfortable in that world of connectivity that digital brings us to being able to explore how we can together tackle some of the big challenges that challenge each of us every day. And if you bring it down into the little world in which we live, suddenly you can have a much bigger impact globally. And that's what makes me really excited. And I, I take that excitement to work with me and to have been offered this opportunity as I grew up through Accenture in the different roles I had to go explore new challenges and 
for me, it's always about a new challenge. And so coming here to Seattle, it's felt like a very natural progression from all of those kind of people who encouraged me through my journey. There's one or two, there's a, you know, I can think of a couple of teachers, the lecturer who took me aside and asked me if I'd had a job yet and recommended I apply to Accenture 25 years ago. You know, perhaps the best career advice I was ever given. So I, if I had to single out one person or persons that would obviously be my parents for just giving me the sense that I could do whatever I wanted to do and that everything was achievable if you worked hard is probably my absolute key, my, my key inspiration. But I think we take inspiration every day from each other. I've got a couple of supplementaries on that. So first off, were your father and mother engineers, scientists or mathematicians? My father was an engineer by degree. He worked in, um, he, he, when I was growing up, he ran the computing department for um, the uh, National Health Aberdeen. It was called the Grampian Health Board at the time. Uh, my mum left school at 16 with no uh, education as note. And the consequence of that was she grew up entirely fixated on her daughters going to university. And I can remember about two weeks before I was due to start Freshers Week in Edinburgh, she said to me, now, I just want to have a conversation and I want to check that you want to go to university. And I just laughed because our entire, up until that point, my entire life had been, you know, committed to which degree and which university, not if I would ever go to university. And that was the, there was a very strong emphasis on education for us growing up. And if you don't mind me asking, how, how is that translating into your own children? if at all? I, I think, so I have three children and I have a daughter and I have two boys. And I think we have the benefit of another generation on. We want to see them do really well and keep, I talk to them a lot about keeping doors open. But I think we have a less stronger sense of it needing to be a vocational uh, role than I think I grew up with because my children are growing up with the luxury of, um, of money and no worries about finances. They grow up with a very different perspective and they grow up in a world where they're all digitally connected. So they think differently about the world. But there's one thing for sure is that my kids are all um, driven by campaigns. Their current collective campaign is... Um, is the environment. They're definitely inspired by Greta Thunberg. I think she's amazing. And um, plastics are a complete no-no in my house. So anybody who dares bring a plastic bottle anywhere near my house is guaranteed a little bit of a lecture from my kids. Fantastic. That's, that, sounds, uh, that sounds like you've got quite a household operating with you in Seattle. So... Now you're in Seattle, you've been there, sounds like you've been there about six months, nearly. What, what are you working on? What's so obviously sort of, we understand the bounds of confidentiality with uh, uh, the organizations you're working with, but what, you know, what, what is getting you out of bed in the morning? So um, we are really focused on maturing the partnership with Microsoft. We have, a, we have with Microsoft what we call a... Um, uh, 360 relationship. So we're one of Microsoft's biggest customers um, as Accenture. Accenture is one of our biggest clients and together we go to market and drive a whole load of business together. So we have this 
very um, mutually beneficial relationship. And at the moment, we're trying to, we, we take all of that and we look at how we can take our learnings and knowledge and use it to bring industry-centric solutions to our clients. So we can bring the strength that Accenture has built over many years of really understanding industry and industry challenges, and particularly how digital disruption is driving these different outcomes within each of the industries that we serve, and pairing that with Microsoft, the Microsoft platform and the, the products and services that they have. So essentially, we've got accelerators to help businesses drive the transformation that they need to tackle the key issues that they have today. And those key issues can, can vary from some of the more you know, well-known issues that we've seen over many years around cost savings. It might be around you know, um, overheads around data centers. And it can be all the way up the other end of the scale into really how do we, how do our, we, we Accenture and Microsoft together help unlock new business models in, in this constantly disrupted world where we see these boundaries between industries blurring. And we, we target that together we can be, provide the platform and services to help our clients, you know, transform and make that pivot into the new and help them really have that sustainable long-term business whilst they're being fueled by so much, you know, change and disruption and shift in expectation of their customers, whether you're in a, a B2B or a B2C world. So it's, it's big, Robin, but it's exciting. And the, you know, the challenges are daily. And every time I think I'm kind of getting comfortable, um, I have uh, our CEOs have a really close working relationship, and I get another another email introducing me into another industry, which I've you know we, we look we're looking to go and unlock together. So it's um it's pretty it's pretty exciting, and uh, I'm excited by the size and scale of the opportunity. But it's about really pulling on the strength of our organisation to to try and drive those those outcomes for our collective clients to help for that kind of mutual success. And I should imagine that you yourself at Accenture and also sort of fairly publicly Microsoft with uh, Satya Nadella coming in. He's been in about five years now, I think. I mean, there's been quite public sort of in-house disruptions. And I guess unless you've been through it yourself and lived it, and restructured an organization or found new ways of working and thinking and behaving, you can't really take that out of house. So how's, I mean, I don't know how long you've been working with Microsoft. There's obviously a strong relationship with Accenture, but I got the distinct impression that Satya is, is very big on culture and has driven a lot of change uh, on that side of the relationship. Absolutely. And actually, Microsoft are very, very transparent about telling this story. And um, I had the privilege of hearing their chief storyteller, they have a, which is perhaps the best job title I've ever heard, talk about um, the, the journey that they have been on as an organization and the shift in their own internal culture and how that has manifested itself then and how they work with their partners and with their customers and really driving something very different. And you see this really from their mission statement down and their mission statement is all about connecting and improving the way that, that, that organizations can, can work together, can live and connect. And, um, and so as we think about how we partner together, 
You know, Accenture's mission has been about changing the way we work and live. You, the cultural piece is really at the heart of how we, a lot of the work we do. And when you think about digital, Robin, and you think about the impact digital has on our lives from a personal perspective and from a business perspective, that, that needs to feel able to respond to the changes in our, the expectations of our customers, of our employees, of the businesses, of the way we expect services to arrive for us. That's at the heart of what we're trying to, to, to leverage in terms of how we can then support our clients when we come together as Accenture and Microsoft. And I have seen that within Accenture. I've seen Accenture go through uh, a number of iterations over the last few years. And Julie Sweet, our new CEO, she's, you know, she's just breathed her vision over the last week around how we're going to transform over the coming weeks. And Satya, as you say, he started that journey five years ago and they've, you know, they're a very, very different organization. But this need for continual change for organizations, big or small, is really almost like it's almost like it's a, a factor of dealing with the amount of disruption that digital has brought into the workplace. And I think you can look to organizations like Microsoft and Accenture to say, well, how did they do it? And whilst this might be just me or it might be my small business, like how can I learn from that and recognize it's actually a continual learning? And Microsoft doesn't stop to answer your question. They don't stop. They keep going. But, you know, I encourage listeners to go, go Google for the, um, for the or, or Bing, I should say, go Bing for the some of the storytelling that you can get around the um, the 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 evolution of Microsoft and its rotation because it's fascinating. So you're you're talking about, well, we're kind of sharing about the importance of leadership in any digital transformation. And I guess your new CEO at Accenture and, and Satya are clearly kind of intuitive digital leaders. So this this being the digital leaders podcast, um, you know what how hard and at the same time important is being a digital leader? I could argue there is a entry-level need to be comfortable with ever-changing mediums around that digital providers and how we can provide services, how we can communicate, how we can work and how we can operate. And we can we could spend we could spend the next week discussing what's the definition of digital and digital disruption and we would never agree and or we might agree but then you'd go to the next person and you'd end up with a different definition but the importance around digital leadership for me is around continual learning curiosity and openness ideas and these three things for me are not the same so continual learning is about that continual uh, acceptance that you need to keep learning you need to keep you need to keep refining your your skills to understand the opportunity to to really be and, and encourage that same behavior with your teams when you are a leader of, of, a, of a digital team um, the second piece for me around curiosity is about looking to see what everybody else is doing and you don't have to go back very far. And if you were working in an industry, you could you really only needed to stay in that industry to look what everybody else was doing to make sure that you were staying ahead of the competition and doing what you needed to do. And actually today, 
our leaders and the best digital leaders are looking across all industries. So you get this overlap where, you know, the experience that we have through re online retail has transformed the way we expect to be able to have prescription services provided. So you've, you've suddenly got this connect and this prescription services. Does that overlap into healthcare and life sciences? And so suddenly you've got another blurring of industry. So this need, the, 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 the shift on way we as consumers think drives this blurring as much as anything as we get this, this shift in expectations. So needing to be curious as a digital leader becomes that next step. And then the final thing for me is openness to ideas. And we've, over many, you know, over the last five years, there's been this real emphasis on how we need to listen to everybody. We need diverse teams because we need to hear multiple voices. We need to respect the millennials, the generation Z, the generation, but we also need to reflect the, we're not, that we're not ageist and we're looking at the, you know, at, at, at the boomer generations as well. And my kids like to joke a lot around this okay boomers tag, which has become a bit of a mantra with the generation Z. And, um, and actually, as digital leaders, we need to be open to all of these opinions and voices because that's how we build the best. So for me, being a, a digital leader is about really having that, you know, I, I'm open to lots of different ideas from somebody who might be 30 years in my industry or somebody who's not even entered my industry because actually the voice of experience has shifted so much it's about that um, willingness to to be continually learning and accept that we're a, you know you need to be a learning culture. And actually, Satya talks about this a lot about the need for going from a continually learning from organization from being a continually knowing organization. And and then that piece around you know the curiosity, the curiosity to ask the questions, um, the curiosity to look elsewhere for solutions. And for me. That's what it means to be a leader, a digital leader, and to really excel in digital leadership. Now, I couldn't agree more. I think particularly this blurring of industry lines. I mean, one, uh, one of my favorite little phrases is that you're not going to bump into what's going to kill your business at, at your industry's conference. So you, you really do need to sort of get out there and, uh, and, and understand what's happening outside of your uh, you're an environment, so I couldn't agree more. I also like the idea that if you're an innate learner, it really doesn't matter what age you are, you are going to potentially do well in the digital world. And if you're not uh, likely to learn or you don't enjoy the learning process, irrespective of how young you are, you're going to struggle in that environment. But um, I think giving people permission, and that's part of the leadership role, isn't it? Is giving people permission to try things and fail, to think outside the box, to uh, experiment and be curious, um, which perhaps for people my age, you know, was not part of the basic training. The basic training was uh, the idea that leaders um, spin the situation, everything's under control, whether they're talking to the board or the bank or to external partners or funders, you know, things are in control. There is no burning platform. So how, how hard do you think is it for a leader to 
get across that there is a need for change, that there is a burning platform without the board or the funders thinking perhaps we've not got the right CEO because the last one told us it was fine and we believe them. I think, I mean, the short answer is I think it's very hard and it takes courage and it takes courage to be able to break the mold of what's gone before. And, um, but I, you know, if, if you can't be honest and transparent in the organization you're operating in, for me personally, I'm not in the right organization. And I think the challenge I then lay down if, is maybe you haven't got, if the board or the funders don't want to know the honest, you know, the reality, then maybe they're not, they're not the right board. But the, the real truth, Robin, is you just got to go back to the data. And we, it's, there's a lot of emotionally driven debate at the moment in our world. Um, it's fueled by a lot of what we see happening within, you know, the, the populist uh, political movement at the moment, particularly in certain countries. And it gets fueled by emotion rather than fact. As a digital leader, you still need to anchor back to your, your, your data and the thing that we do have better than ever now is we have better data than ever before. We have more data, but we also have better data. And we can leverage data to help drive the, the, those bold conversations that we need to make to really have that honest conversation with our, our superiors, whether, whether, it's a, whether it's another leader, whether it's a board, whether it's the funding, whoever it is, we you know, we have to anchor all of what we do as digital leaders, in fact, just as we always did. But we also just need to have, be, be, be bold about that and, you know, be prepared to kind of break the mold a little bit. Yes, we've been talking about data quite a lot at Digital Leaders recently, and uh, we've been running sessions called Data Rich Information Poor. And it it's been quite apparent that, Although a lot is said about data and its importance, there's also a huge amount of work to be done around the collection, classification, and actually planning around data. And I was very taken by a speaker recently who said in the agile scrum world, there is no persona for the data scientist. And they're usually brought in too late and sort of asked to do too much with no resources you know, after a project has started. So again, you know, there's even a challenge with planning data. So yes, there's data out there, but as you move your project forward, you really need to spend quite a lot of time and effort into deciding what to collect, how to collect it, and what outcomes it's going to provide for you. I completely agree. And I, I couldn't agree more with the comments from your speaker. But, you know, this is about continual learning and being curious right if we don't continue to challenge ourselves we'll get stuck with the same answers and we're not going to move on we can't go oh there's a lot of data but we don't really understand it so we're going to use that as an excuse for sticking on what we've always done and I think we have to kind of you have to break this down like you would any problem and break it down into the pieces so you build up from what you are certain about you look to continually challenge the data scientists in your organization or the people who really understand the data to understand really what's happening. Leverage the, and so you can complement the experience that you might have as a leader with the, 
with with the date with the data and what that data can tell you in terms of information and you build out from it rather than starting with the whole set and moving in which can be very difficult and can mislead you you start from what you know there's a um organization that we were doing some work with a couple of years ago in a role I was in and they had a um it was an instance it was working with one of the North American telcos and the call center for the telco they couldn't understand why so many callers were calling in to um to do mobile phone upgrades and then falling out of the process and um and and eventually ending up in a store where they would start and they would have to go back through this whole registration process for an upgrade before finally walking walking out of the store with a phone and you look at a scenario like that and you say well the call center's not fit for purpose etc cetera, etc cetera. there must be all these problems and actually by following the data trail using some of the really sophisticated tooling that's around today and some of the expertise around understanding the data um actually what was happening is the business process was flawed and what the there was a subset of stores in one particular city um where they they the store staff were only rewarded for the sale if they started a new transaction so the consumer was going through online phoning up for an upgrade you know responding to an email or a phone call they would open up the transaction to do the upgrade they give all the data they go through all of the approvals then they'd say actually i want to go and hold this new phone in my hand and they'd say well that's perfect you can just do that in your local store um and they can complete the purchase there so they'd turn up at their store and then in order for the whoever there's the salesperson in the store they would then close that transaction and reject it and the consumer would have to go through entering all the data again uh, otherwise the person in the store didn't get any um acknowledgement for completing the sale so you know we if we don't follow the data sometimes we can jump to completely the wrong conclusion as to where the problem sits and i think it's a balance and you think you as a, as digital leaders we need to anchor back to where we have certainty and build out from it because if you start from the superset of data you you know where do you begin and and you don't have confidence in the scenario that you're getting to so i think start from what you know and use it to complement the experience that you have and build out from it and and you know be bold drive that continual learning bring in some experts listen to different people and continue to iterate and that's where this notion of agility comes in because you might not get the right answer first time or you might have to you know you might have to refine or you might have to throw away and start again and you know it takes courage that's not how we've typically been measured startups have been measured around much more of that innovation bigger organizations typically not that's all about that shift in behavior and that boldness that we need as digital leaders there's quite a big shout coming through from those events that not enough resource in the project has been put into data sort of the and i i come from a property background so the analogy for me is whenever we are building a building i couldn't believe how much of the budget disappeared into the ground into the foundations the plumbing connecting things you know that you never saw so you'd build a building for um a couple of million pounds and you'd put about 800,000 below ground which no one ever saw but was clearly fundamental to the building and i wonder whether when we're building things now we're not because we 
can't see it or understand the benefit of it. We're not putting enough resource into the data capture element of the project. I don't know whether you have a thought on that, whether there's a, a, a rule of thumb or just anecdotal. So I, I, I like the analogy a lot because I also like, if you, know, if you don't put the money in the plumbing, we're all quick to complain when the plumbing doesn't work, right? I mean, it's the first thing that you're going to complain about. And I, I would say, I actually think it's, a, it's not about the data harvest because I would say the data harvest is a bit like letting the water run through the pipes but it's the pipes themselves and how they're structured. If you don't put the right, the right investment into how you're thinking about your data architecture and how you're thinking about how, you're gonna, how that's going to evolve over time, then you'll never get the right flow coming out the other end. And that's how I would think about that problem. I think actually we're capturing so much data because we've got so many channels to capture data through that the data capture itself isn't the, the issue. It's what you've done once you've, fished it all and caught it all how are you gonna how do you break it up so as you know where to where like where to attack it from to understand the information you can harvest from it and I think it's that it's that really understanding the architecture around the data to be able to have it in a way that, that you can start to pull constructive scenarios and information out from it. I think that's where we don't we don't pay enough attention. And we've harvested so much data over that many organizations have harvested so much data over the last few years that we're now needing, there's now an opportunity to take a remedial, you know, you kind of have to kind of take a step back um, to really look at what you've got there and, and, and make sure that you're not overlooking the the or revisiting the the kind of architecture that you put in place, and I I think that's where the the real core thing comes from, and if you don't start to take time to invest in that, then the the AI will only ever continue to be to have all the issues that we have with AI today around it being biased around what it's seeing because it's actually only seeing maybe one lens of that data that 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 you know that data that you've harvested, and I think. That's the way I think about this problem. And I think it's really important that the organizations put the appropriate amount of investment into thinking about how they architect the data that they're harvesting. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So we are nearing the end of our time together, which is a great shame, but we have our quick far round still to run. So uh, our first question is, what book would you recommend our listener read and why? This is a slightly odd one, but I'm reading Madeleine Albright's biography at the moment and I am really loving it it's really interesting to read at this particular time so she was an immigrant first into the UK and then into North America so you have this whole perspective on transient workforce and how you how we as digital leaders can help support the people in our organizations as they're going through change but then it also talks about that whole youthful um, engagement and um, and inspiration, and finally, it talks a lot about relationships and how you build relationships and you think about outcomes. Um, and it's through the lens of you know one of arguably one of the, one of the one of the uh, most successful diplomats of the last maybe uh, couple of decades. So I think I'm really enjoying that, and I think it's it's remarkably pertinent to a lot of the challenges that we have today as leaders. A great pick, a great pick. So um, I don't know how much lunching goes on out in Seattle, but um, who would you most like to have lunch with, living or dead, um, and why? 
Well, I, I was a bit tied on this one because it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday, and he's somebody I would always have loved to have, to have met and, 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 and just really understand how people can be as brave as he can around a, as he was around a really fundamental um, human rights belief. But um, I also watched Hidden Figures with my daughter at the weekend. And any one of the uh, three amazing uh, women who worked on the NASA project in the 1960s, what a time to be a woman in tech. And I, I would choose any one of the three of them. I think they were amazing. And I recommend the film. So there you go, you get a film recommendation as well. Okay. Yes, so I have actually seen the film. And it is, uh, it, I agree, it's an incredibly good film. So hopefully uh, we, we've inspired some people to, uh, to watch it. So our last question, and one of my favourites, is um, our listener would like to know something about you that might surprise them. So when I was a teenager at school, my whole life was uh, dictated by my basketball schedule. I used to play National League basketball and I used to play for Scotland all the way through school and uni. And when I was 17, I came out to Seattle for the very first time um, with the, the Scottish team to play in a couple of tournaments out here, never ever guessing that 30 years later I'd be back here to live. So when you, it, uh, my reflection is you never know where life's gonna take you and sometimes it takes you back in unexpected ways to places that you visited. And, bas and basketball's quite a surprising sport. I mean, netball is perhaps a more, oh, is that in English? Just, just help me understand that. So. How, how did you end up playing basketball as opposed to, say, netball? And was that when unusual I, at the time? Yeah. So and, and any listeners will know Scotland's not really renowned for its basketball. But um, when I was um, second year at secondary school, the teachers had a national strike that went on for several years and they ended up suspending all of the extracurriculum activities. And I had just started playing basketball with the, uh, with, this, with the school team. And the coach also coached the National League team and he invited a number of us to join the National League Club. So when all other sports stopped, it was the one that kept going and I, I was quite good at it. So the, uh, the rest, as you say, is history in terms of how that happened. Fantastic. So I've really enjoyed our conversation, Emma, and I'm so sorry we are out of, literally out of time. But uh, can I just say thank you so much for being on the Digital Leaders Podcast? It's been an absolute pleasure, Robin, and thank you for inviting me. That is it for this episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast. Now, of course, we would love to know your thoughts. Tag us at, at DigiLeaders and let us know and if you want to find out more about today's guest, head on over to our website, digileaders.com forward slash podcast, and we have all that information there. That is it for this week. I'm your host, Robin Knowles. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Digital Leaders Podcast.